0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It takes a lot of hard work and guts to make it in Detroit, and no one knows that better than Carhartt. Since 1889, Carhartt's been making the toughest, most trusted gear for anyone who outworks them. Because from field to farm and all sites in between, Carhartt's got your back for whatever lies ahead.
1: Hey, this is Colt Keith. The Road to Detroit podcast starts right now.
2: Never settle. That's a phrase we all know. Some people do it better than others. It works in life, and it works in a draft room. This idea that you should draft in a way that mitigates risk. Remember that old cliche? You can't win a draft in round one, but you can certainly lose it. That's wrong. Never settle. If you're drafting a team, and this is on any level, it doesn't matter if you're drafting for the Detroit Tigers franchise or if you're drafting your own fantasy team. If at any point a person drafting looks at a situation and says that the best move here is to limit my risk, then typically you haven't done the right research or identified the right players, and your roster construction will likely not be the best it could. You're leaving talent on the table. That's the truth. Never settle. My friend Matt Kelly taught me that. This is the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. I'm Dan Hasty. Our producer is Nate Wangler. If you've ever done a draft in your life, it doesn't matter what level, you always have a draft board. There is one person in the Detroit Tigers organization that is responsible for a draft board. Scott Plyce, the director of amateur scouting, he's the one in charge of that board, and he is going to answer one very important question. Was Jackson Job the number one overall player on the Tigers board? There were some other candidates. We know who they were. Yet the Tigers still took Jackson Job. You're going to hear some very important answers from Scott Plice today. We're going to dive in on Jackson Job because this was a decision that was divisive. This was a decision that prompted questions. Nobody can answer these better than Scott Plice. This is our role. This is how we serve you. If you like what you hear, subscribe to this podcast. This is the perspective that we're able to give you. There were a couple of picks ahead of the Tigers. Did somebody go before they picked that they wanted instead? Or was it Jackson-Job all along? That's the critical question we will find out from Scott Plyce, the Tigers director of amateur scouting. We'll also talk to Detroit Tigers number 15 prospect Colt Keith. He was drafted in that abbreviated 2020 draft with the Tigers fifth round pick taken out of high school. The thing about Colt Keith is that he has been known in prospect circles for quite a while from Biloxi high school. He was the Mississippi Gatorade player of the year, hit over 500, hit eight homers as a junior, was really good throughout the showcase circuit playing against high-level competition. The fact that the Tigers got him in the fifth round, that was a surprise. When they took a high schooler that late, typically you're not able to sign high school players. But Colt Keith signed with the Tigers, and he's off to a good start. He's already in low A Lakeland. The numbers are encouraging as he continues to learn that level. I don't think it'll take him long to adjust. He's already started to show his ability to pick up high-level pitching. So we might see him in West Michigan before season's end. We'll chat with Colt Keith coming up a little bit later on this edition of The Road to Detroit. Also, some news for Scott Plyce's draft class. The number 32 overall pick, Texas right-hander Ty Madden. You know, boom, tough act in Ty Madden. (laughs) He agreed to a contract with the Tigers, so he is officially a part of the organization. Congratulations to Ty. Still waiting on a couple of other names from that draft class to filter in, but we know Ty Madden is in the fold. Congratulations to Ty. Let's go to the news. Let's start in West Michigan on July 15th in the second game of a doubleheader and for the first time since Calvin Chipperfield. Some of you may remember that name. The Whitecaps got a no-hitter. 4-0 shutout over the Fort Wayne Tincaps. The four pitchers, Sandel De La Cruz, was signed as a non-drafted free agent back in 2016, the native of Consuelo in the Dominican Republic. He got things started the right way, going over three innings in a spot start. By the way, this was a bullpen day, or as the pitching coach Willie Blair liked to call it. The starting pitcher's name is Johnny Holstaff. Well, technically, it's Sandel de la Cruz. He started that ball game, and then Michael Beanline, former member of the NC State Wolfpack, he came in in relief. And then it was the Michigan native from St. Clair, Jared Toby, who played his college ball at Wayne State University. Actually went to the Mike Illich School of Business Administration. He pitched one of the final innings, and then it was Bryce Tosan who finished things off in that seventh inning. Daniel Cabrera, by the way, making the catch out in right field to finish off the no-hitter the first time for the Whitecaps since 2000 and the fifth no-hitter in West Michigan Whitecaps history. Funny side note, the last time the Caps had pitched a no-hitter, we mentioned Calvin Chipperfield's name, he actually had pitched the second no-hitter of that same homestand. Only three days earlier, the Whitecaps had thrown another one. That was Tommy Marks. So, yeah, you could say the pitching staff looked just fine that week as it did this past week. Bo Brisky, he dominated for West Michigan. He is the high A central player of the week. Who would have thought that the game before would have been an appetizer for the main course at the end of the evening? But Bo Brisky got himself pitcher of the week honors after tossing a complete game shutout. Seven innings, two hits, two walks, tied his career high with nine strikeouts. Bo Brisky, a late round pick, a 27th rounder out of Chandler, Arizona. He takes home High A Central Pitcher of the Week honors. I don't know what's more impressive, a no-hitter in the second game of a doubleheader or the fact that combined the West Michigan Whitecaps threw a 14-inning two-hit shutout between two games of a doubleheader. In Low A Lakeland, Jack O'Laughlin, the pitcher of the week for the Low A Southeast, he wins seven innings as well while striking out five. And as it pertains to the Tigers and player development, you are now all caught up to speed on the news. Let's hit the on-ramp. Speaking of low-A Lakeland, the Flying Tigers took two out of seven against Tampa. Jake Holton finished the series against Tampa. That was a Yankees affiliate with six hits, a double, a home run, four runs batted in. Don't sleep on Jake Holton. The native of San Jose was a 10th-round pick for the Tigers back in 2019. And the numbers this year in low-A Lakeland have been really strong. 277 average, 100 points higher with his on base. He's got three homers and 10 RBIs in just 20 games. He's walking a lot. He's finding extra base power. Missed a little bit of time to begin the season, but he's back and he hasn't missed a beat. Meanwhile, Nick Quintana, he is starting to show some signs at the plate. And again, the learning curve is different for everybody. I mean, we saw Nick Quintana in West Michigan back in 2019. This is not a linear process. I mean, we see guys go down all the time figure it out, and then bull rush their way up the ladder. So with a guy like Quintana, who had a tough time in West Michigan back in 2019, we're just looking for signs. And a three-game multi-hit hitting streak is certainly one of them. Three doubles, two homers, and six RBIs this past week down in low A. Off to West Michigan. The Whitecaps won three out of seven at home against Fort Wayne. We talked about that dominant performance on Thursday, July 15th. The Whitecaps' bullpen was a big part of it. They gave up only three runs in 32 innings between some of the days over the weekend as Bo Brisky threw that two-hit shutout. And then we told you about the combined no-hitter, first time in 21 years in West Michigan. Meanwhile, the Whitecaps hold the third lowest ERA in the entire high A central and is one of only four teams with a team ERA that sits below four. That's at 3.86. So props to the former Tiger and the Whitecaps pitching coach, Willie Blair. But after the no-hitter on July 15th, Brian Pena, the former Tigers catcher, stopped by to give his thoughts on what was a really special night for him and his team.
3: It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable because I know how hard they work. I know how much uh, dedication and passion they put, you know, every single day. And uh, for uh, God to bless us with this opportunity, especially, you know, to everybody who has something to do with this uh, tremendous job, I mean, I'm super proud of them. Last but not least, I know
2: some of you will enjoy this perhaps a little bit more than others, but Jimmy Kerr, the former Michigan Wolverine, got sent up to West Michigan, and he hit the ground running a two-run double in his first game with the Whitecaps to kick off his career in West Michigan. Also hit a couple of flyouts to like the wall in right center field. I thought he might have had a couple of home runs to go along with it. But Jimmy Kerr, the hero for the Michigan Wolverines in the 2019 College World Series, he hit seven home runs in the final 13 games of the CWS out in Omaha. He was Michigan's team captain. He was outstanding down the stretch, and he was a big reason the Wolverines made it as far as they did. Championship series against Vanderbilt that season. Congratulations on the promotion to Jimmy Kerr. Off to double-A, Erie. The Seawolves won two out of six at home against Bowie. Bowie's a really good team. But Riley Green, he opened the series three for eight, a double, a triple, his 10th home run of the season. Meanwhile, he's been in a little bit of a slump, but maybe he's starting to come out of it. Dylan Dingler gave us a Dingler Dinger. That's home run number 10 combined between West Michigan and Erie for Dingler. So both Dingler and Riley Green, each with double digit home runs in the Tigers minor league system thus far. Off to Triple A. Toledo won four out of six over the Iowa Cubs. Willie Castro. Look, we saw what he did in the major leagues in that shortened 2020 season. I don't think there's any reason to write him off quite yet. I think this trip to Toledo will tell us a lot, and so far, it's off to a good start. You can't ask for much more for what the situation has given Willie Castro. He's gone on a tear, 5-for-12 with a double and a home run. On the mound, Ricardo Pinto, who's been in the major leagues with a couple of different teams, he picked up his fifth victory of 2021, gave up a pair of runs in five innings, struck out three, but... Overall this year, 8-2 and two with a 264 earned run average. That's the on-ramp. A very important conversation as we discuss Jackson Job at length with Tigers Director of Amateur Scouting Scott Pleiss begins right now. The Road to Detroit podcast continues. On the night of July 11th, the Tigers pick came in at number three in the MLB draft. I'll admit, at first... I was surprised, but as time has gone on, I keep coming around to one saying, and that is get the best upside you can find. And Jackson Job, the high school pitcher from Oklahoma, may represent one of the biggest upsides this entire draft has to offer. The man who made that pick, Scott Place, the Tigers' director of scouting, joins us. Scott, good to have you. Good to be here. Thanks. Tell me. How did it go on Sunday night, the 11th? What went into making this particular pick for you in that given moment?
4: Well, it's you know it's a lot of work building up to that. So with a lot of people involved and a lot of discussions, a lot of work. But uh, it just really comes down to what what I've been talking about since I've been here. Get the best guy. Get the best talent possibly that we can get out there with the most upside, with the most probability he's going to be that guy. And uh, get that player. So that's really what it was to really simplify it. Were there other guys in the draft? Obviously, that we like. Sure, I mean, we like some of those guys. But a lot of those guys, you know, too, I've seen for a while. Like the college guys, I saw him in high school, and I saw him in the summers, and I saw him in, you know, in college. And they're good. They're good players. I think we just felt that uh, that Jackson was a different guy. He's he's got a chance to be a special guy, and. Um, super, super talented, great makeup. He's just the total package. Talking
2: about high school pitchers. Historically, taking a high school right-handed pitcher, as you know, has been one of the riskiest profiles in the yeah. draft. How much was that talked about in the draft room and what made Jackson work that risk for you?
4: It might've been mentioned one time or two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. We talked about it a lot. We all understand what that is. And it's a question of if we're going to take the best guy. I mean, I always have a hard time. If I feel like I'm settling for something less, I, I just have a hard time wrapping my mind around doing that. I'd rather figure out how to get the best guy and how to, how to manage that particular talent. What it really came down to is we kept circling around, like you mentioned early on, he's the best guy. So we just need to figure out how to, you know, do our thing with him and make sure everything goes smoothly. And we've had some success doing it before. So this isn't our first time. So we thought in our minds that Jackson was by far the best guy. So it just, at the end of the day, it just came down to let's do that. Like we've we've been true to since I've been here. How does this work for somebody like Jackson? What are the expectations
2: that you would deem to be fair for somebody like Jackson Job in terms of, I mean, how quick is this kind of profile? How quick could he make it? Up through the system,
4: as talented as Jackson is, ability-wise, he could move very quickly. I mean, the point is to to develop him on a speed where he learns, and he's when he when he gets his chance in the big leagues, he's ready. Not a, a try to get in there before he should get there, and maybe rush him and let him learn some lessons, in, you know, developing in the minor leagues. So when he does get to the big leagues, he's the guy we expect him to be. So talent wise, he could fly. I mean, he could go really quick, but there needs to be some development time. He's a high school pitcher, just like any high school kid that would come out. You know, it takes some time to, to get used to pro ball. I mean, high school or college. I mean, when you, when you get into pro ball, it's a whole different situation. It's, it's on the field every day, it's travel, it's working hard at it, it's, it's a grind. Uh, So it's a different, it's a totally different situation. And these guys got to, they've got to work out differently. They've got to train differently. They've got to hopefully, you know, like nowadays these kids are smart and they eat, they eat correctly and they've got to do all this because their bodies go through a lot uh, over the course of the year. So they've got to learn how to do all that and learn how to pace themselves and and get through all that and and figure out how to be on the field every day and, and figure out how to get it done.
2: We're talking to Scott Plyce, the Detroit Tigers director of amateur scouting. I'm only asking this because you had the third overall pick and a lot of people had thought that there were some other names that were possibilities for you at that spot. And Jackson Job was your pick. So as somebody who has always been dying to see draft boards, is it fair to say that Jackson Job was the number one player on your board on draft night?
4: Oh, he was definitely the number one guy on our board that night. I mean, it's a, like I said, it goes a lot of work goes into it, and the guy that gets on top of that is talked about obviously uh, a lot. And uh, he worked his way in there, and and uh, no, I shouldn't say worked his way, and he 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 sat on top, and uh, we talked about everybody. A good firm debate and back and forth um, on all the players just to make sure that, you know, that, that we're all, we're getting the right player, you know, those conversations happened and we beat up a lot of guys talking about him Cause there was some, there was some, obviously, you know, we had a great pick and three and there's talented kids there. So we talked about quite a few of them and uh, we came up with the, uh, the idea that Jackson was the best.
2: Must be interesting to watch different scouts go back and forth on players because from your job, you're, you're kind of sitting there with the gavel. You're kind of in the middle of it. You're kind of presiding over the debate, so to speak. So for for Scott Plice, I mean, there has to be some certain buzzwords when it comes to players from a talent evaluation perspective that really just hit home. Maybe ones that sell you on a player. What are some of the things that come to mind that you heard when scouts were going back and forth making the case for Jackson?
4: Just in general, one some comments that were that were out there that when you listen to him describe him, and and what he can do right now, everybody was a hundred percent. Nobody was like, ah, I didn't really like his breaking ball or his changeup was okay. Everybody was one hundred percent. You know, everything was plus basically, and he threw strikes. And so every time somebody rolled in there, Jackson showed us. So everybody was unanimous about how. St- skilled this guy is you know now advanced he is his high school pitcher so that was obviously something you're you know when you hear you never we never hear that I mean we like guys but there's always something about the player that we scrutinize just to make sure that we're getting the right guy so that and then there were some guys that were in the room they've been scouting a long time and and they threw some of those names out there like he's better than these guys so and I don't want to put a bunch of like I hate doing comparisons and doing all that it's just kind of piling on with pressure so I'm not going to go there but I know some hefty names were thrown around that uh guys in our room saw and uh back in the day and that he was tossed in there like you know at that particular time in high school this guy was better so that got my attention for sure
2: you haven't seen a lot of high school pitchers like this i mean when's the last time that somebody came across your desk this polished and this advanced for somebody with this type of background
4: I don't think I've ever seen a guy quite like him in high school because of, because of everything, because of the makeup, because of the ability to, to – he has four pitches. He controls all four pitches. He's got life on his fastball. He's really the whole package. I mean, usually the guys that come out, the power arms that come out, they're usually big, strong guys that throw really hard with a hard-breaking ball, and they're usually trying to develop a change. When I saw Jackson, I think the first time, he was like ninety four, ninety six, which is hard, with a plus curveball, plus slider, a plus change, plus life, and and he threw strikes, and he's athletic, you know the whole thing, the whole package. The next time I came into, he's topping out at ninety eight, which is great. I mean, but but the type of pitcher is he doesn't need to throw ninety eight miles an hour to be a guy. You see a guy that can do all of it right now. I, you just don't see that. Guys develop it later. Some guys do, some guys don't. But you just don't, you know, you you're walk away from a, a particular pitcher and say, boy, I love this kid, but I wish he had more life on his fastball. You know, that might hurt him when he gets in the big leagues or I wish he had a better change up or, or whatever it might be. When we rolled in and saw Jackson, he, he's athletic. We saw him make great plays off the mound. <clears throat> Obviously, he was a shortstop, but we already knew the makeup. The fastball was always plus, with plus life. This Both breaking balls were plus. The changeup was plus with life. I mean, you just kind of walked out of there like you start thinking about it. And you're like, I can't come up with a comp. So sometimes different is really good.
2: Now, I don't know if Jackson would like me to ask you this question, but I'm going to do it anyway. What's <laughs> the chances Jackson Job actually plays shortstop? Because this kid could have gotten drafted as a shortstop too. Maybe not in the third overall pick, but he certainly could have probably been drafted, right?
4: Well, to his credit, he's a great athlete and he can play. I've seen him play short. He's a good shortstop, and he swung the bat. He's, he can swing the bat, but he's going to pitch. <laughs>
2: <laughs> One more before we let you go here, and thanks so much for taking the time, Scott. Uh, you guys were able to sign Ty Madden. Congratulations to you guys. Signed the number 32 overall pick. Some of the similarities to Jackson Job: fastball, big fastball, wipeout slider. How excited were you guys to be able to snag him at 32 when you're talking about a top 10 draft prospect?
4: Oh, very excited! We we saw him early. I happened to see him early, and probably saw his best game against Houston. Was just lights out. I mean, just pitched great that day, and and the guys that followed in after that saw him good too. So we were we were pleasantly surprised that he got to us, and and really super happy about that. So great talent, great kid, great family. Uh, enjoyed being with them today. They were they were outstanding. And um really excited about what Ty's gonna do because Ty's gonna be a special guy and he's gonna he's gonna do a lot of great things as a Tiger.
2: Well, he just told us on the last episode of the Road to Detroit his best game, that Houston game. So you clearly were in the crowd at the right time. For yeah Ty. I got
4: there. Sometimes I get it right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Scott, thank you very much. I know you're a very busy, man. Thanks for taking a few minutes with us. And I'm sure you're already ramping up for 2022. So I'll let you get after it. But thanks again for hitting us up here All on the Road right, to Detroit. No
4: problem. Thank you. I appreciate it.
2: That's Scott Place, right here on the Road to Detroit. This is the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. It's now time for best in class. Of all the players in the Tigers minor league system this week, these ones made the most noise. Whitecaps haven't pulled this off since the year 2000. The one is lined to right field. The right fielder Cabrera is there. No hitter for the West Michigan Whitecaps. Pitchers combined, they mob the closer Bryce Tossan in the middle of the field. And for the first time since 2000, the Whitecaps can celebrate a no-hitter. And they get to do it right here in West Michigan. We got a couple of winners of the best in class this week. How about the West Michigan Whitecaps bullpen? There is nothing that puts a bullpen at a disadvantage more than having to go with a bullpen game. That means the entire ball game, you don't have a set starting pitcher, and you are literally throwing relievers from start to finish. To get a no-hitter on a bullpen day is almost unheard of. So the fact that the Whitecaps were able to pick up a no-no, those games are just hard to win, let alone throw no- hitters. But the West Michigan Whitecaps did exactly that. We told you a little bit about these players at the top of the show, but Sandel de la Cruz, he started. He's usually a reliever. He had a little bit of starting experience back in 2019, but the native of the Dominican Republic, three and two-thirds innings, no hits, three walks, two strikeouts, and then from that point on, the bullpen did the rest. Three and a third innings combined between Michael Beanline, Jared Toby from St. Clair, Michigan, and Bryce Tosan, who finished it off. And by the way, In that seven-inning no-hitter, Whitecaps pitchers only struck out four batters. So that means the ball had been getting hit in play all night long. So a tip of the cap to the Whitecaps defense as well. They did not make an error behind them. And they get the award this week for best in class. Congratulations to the Whitecaps bullpen. Our producer Nate Wangler is alongside. He's got the award winner for the Dylan Rosa
5: Award. Nate Wangler, who is accepting this Rosa? A surprise nomination this week and someone we haven't talked about really Acquired back in 2016 as a free agent at just 16 years old out of Adelaide, South Australia. That's the lefty from Lakeland, Jack O'Laughlin. And it's someone that I'm surprised we haven't really mentioned on this podcast yet. Blast you back two seasons ago when he was just a 19-year-old in the then New York Penn League with the Connecticut Tigers. He actually combined with Michael Beanline, Kyle Thomas, and Corey Behenna for the first ever no-hitter Connecticut Tigers history and so far this year he's put up a solid year one and one a 229 ERA altogether 19 and two-thirds innings pitched he's only given up five runs and struck out 16 Jack O'Laughlin's putting together a very very solid 2021 campaign and you can't go wrong with another lefty in the pitching rotation I expect to see him up in West Michigan at some point here soon you may as well call him Jack
2: O'Lantern because he's been scary for those opposing hitters. That's, my, that's enough dad jokes for one day.
5: Jack O'Laughlin, congrats. Again, he's been in the system since he's 16, so it's been a long time coming, but I think he has certainly earned this week's Rosa.
2: Congratulations to Jack O'Lantern. I mean Jack O'Laughlin this week, the <laughs> Dylan Rosa Award winner. <laughs> <laughs> Road the Detroit Podcast continues. He is the number 15 prospect for the Detroit Tigers and a fifth round pick in the shortened 2020 draft. Colt Keith has been gracious enough to join us right now. Colt, good to see you. Good to finally get a chance to hang out with you a little bit because so far
1: this year, it's been a good start in Lakeland. Congratulations. Thank you, man. How, how's everybody doing? I'm excited to be on this podcast and, uh, Yeah, let's get it going.
2: Let's talk about what 2021 has been because the numbers are really good. But even within all that, I mean, you were the Mississippi Gatorade high school player of the year. and It's always interesting to me when somebody comes along like you, who I believe hit like 527 during his senior year of high school. And now in pro ball, you're hitting 290. And people are legitimately more excited about that than whatever you did in high school, how much of an adjustment has it been to go from hitting over 500 on the regular to hitting 300 and be like, yeah, this is
1: going well? <laughs> you know, it actually is weird. Like um, like when I was in high school and like maybe I grounded out or got out two times in a game, it was like a big deal. Like I-, I felt terrible about it because, you know, if I went two for four, my average went down. You know what I mean? So like the big adjustment to pro ball is like, Like you go one for four with a run in the RBI, like that's a great day. You know what I mean? Like one for four in high school, that's kind of a bad day there. I mean, that's going to hurt your numbers a little bit, but, um, but obviously, you know, the competition's way better here and it's, it's, you know, completely different. High school is a joke compared to the competition here. And, uh, but man, I'm just, I think it helped me a lot to be honest, because like, if I'm, I feel like even if I do start off the game with like a double or something, like I feel like I still have to go get a few more hits. Like in my mind, that's that's what's needed to have a good game. Um, so that keeps me keeps me on track there.
2: You ended up at high school in Biloxi or at Biloxi High School in Mississippi. But did I read it that you're from Ohio? How does a kid from Ohio end up in
1: Mississippi? Oh yeah, that's really complicated. But uh, I'll give you a short rundown. So yeah, I was born in Ohio in a really small town I was born in Zanesville Ohio but we didn't even live there that was the biggest city around and we lived in a small town called Cambridge I mean freaking one stoplight town now I mean it's just it's really small and uh of course you know baseball is not very big there and and I would and my brother were wrestlers growing up and wrestling wasn't even that big there I mean it's big in Ohio but there it's like you know it's hard to hard to you know do anything out of Cambridge Ohio so and uh, with my mom's job being a, a lawyer for gas and oil rights, we, we could move around and we had options. So once me and my brother got to around 10 or 11, we decided to move out. We moved to Utah at first. Um, we didn't really know where to go. Um, well, I mean, obviously, I didn't know what was going on. I was like 10, but my parents were making these decisions. But uh, looking back, I don't think they knew where to go. So we were just going out west because we knew it was better for sports, better for school, you know, et cetera, whatever. Um, my mom had a job there lived there for a few years and ultimately learned that I was playing in Las Vegas or Phoenix every weekend um, you know for those big perfect game tournaments or whatever and same with the wrestling tournaments we were in Las Vegas or California or you know Colorado whatever so we decided um, after a few years in Utah that we could move we could move around we had a few options of states and Arizona was one of them so we took up on that opportunity and me and my brother, w- uh, moved to West Phoenix. It's a little, um, town on the outskirts of Phoenix called, uh, Verado. And, um, uh, we went to school there, a lot better baseball, a lot better sports, a lot better schooling, better town. And, uh, you know, it worked out really well. And then we had an opportunity to move again. And, um, we ultimately decided after I had my baseball exposure and, uh, My mom's my mom's had a contract up and she had a really good job opportunity. And that was in Biloxi, Mississippi. So we made the move. And, you know, I knew some people down there and the deep south, also a really good spot for baseball and, you know, real close to Florida, real close to Louisiana. So that's basically what ended up happening. So it was mostly for my mom's job. But, you know, we had me and my brother's future and mine in the back. So safe to say you're used to life on the road, aren't you? Yeah, dude, it's it's home for me is driving around. I mean, me living in Lakeland from Biloxi, it's like I'm not homesick because, like, like, I don't even know what to even say my home is. Like, I say I'm from Biloxi, but, like, I've only lived there for three or four years. I lived in Ohio for 10. So, I mean, it's like – it's just kind of, you know, people asking where I'm from, I don't know. I usually say Mississippi, but, you know, it could be all four of them. So, um, yeah, being on the road is not a big deal to me. It's a good thing that
2: baseball players don't introduce themselves like football players where they give their name in hometown because I think Colt Keith would say, Colt Keith, I don't know, you tell me.
1: <laughs> yeah, pick any state. I mean, you have a good chance of picking one of them. So do you miss wrestling? I do miss wrestling. It was it, wrestling taught me a lot of life lessons. And my dad has also grew up wrestling in college and he was a wrestling coach. So that's what he wanted me to do. And you know, I still watch college wrestling and stuff and I I do miss it, the competition and, you know, it's just so physical and it was, it was real. Um, But I got a body of a baseball player. I'm a lot better at baseball. I'll tell you that, but uh, I do miss it sometimes. What have you learned about yourself so far as a pro? Um, I learned that I'm a lot better than I thought I would be. Um, I figured that I would come into it and really struggle, like, you know, how, how most high schoolers do, um, you know, that aren't Riley Green or Bryce Harper or whoever. Um, you know, I figured I would struggle some. I always had um, confidence in myself that I would eventually figure it out. But I figured it out sooner than than I thought I would. Um, I got used to the pitching, got used to the speed of the pitching. The speed of the game sped up on me, but I got used to it quick and made adjustments. And, and uh, you know, I'm really confident, more confident going in now than I was going into it. Um, about pro ball,
2: you have played shortstop a lot in high school. Now you're playing third base, but also noticed some games at second base for you. What have you been learning about playing over there?
1: Well, I've always been this this guy that's been versatile. Um, you know, I've I've played everywhere. I played outfield, third, short. I, I caught up until I was 12 years old. I mean, I played it all. I mean, I was pitching prospect in high school, like. But um, so you know, me playing different positions isn't a big deal for me this offseason I practiced a lot of short third and second base just in case. Cause for me being versatile is, 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 uh, you know, it's a big tool. Like, you know, you can get yourself for me. It's like, just get myself in the lineup somewhere, whether that's a second base shortstop or third. So, um, but I, I like playing second base, you know, it gives you a lot of time to get the runner first, you know, a lot less, you know, quicker than third base, um, where you just get it and you throw a rocket over to the first, but, you know, it's it was a little bit of an adjustment, but we got Dave Owen and, and uh Hosey here. So, you know, it wasn't a big deal to figure out the mechanics and stuff like that. We got good coaches, so it just took me a few few games to get the reps in and you know, I'll be comfortable there, just as comfortable as third. So
2: we're talking with Colt Keith here on the Road to Detroit podcast, presented by Carhartt. You know, been hitting against low A pitching for about two months now. And what I'm curious about is the difference between what you're facing now and what you were going up against in Instructs, in the Instructional League, because you're going up against guys who are in high A, double A, triple A. I mean, it's not just the caliber of play, but it's also the fact that you get to know some of these guys. Take me back to Instructional League.
1: Oh, yeah, Instructional League was a tough one for me. Um, that's one of the reasons, I mean, that that just um, – solidified me feeling like I was going to struggle going into the season because I was facing Jason Foley, Will Vest, who have both made their debuts by now, you know, just a bunch of guys like that. I mean, all of them got the 95 to 98 fastball with a banger and a change up and, you know, throw in a sinker and a freaking splitter in there. It's kind of stupid, but, um, but, you know, I struggled. I mean, I never faced below in my life and, once I got there and I struggled there, I got maybe one or two hits, something like that. You know, it wasn't very good hits either, maybe some slash singles or something. But um, I was late on everything, doing the offseason. I needed to make some adjustments and made those adjustments. And going into extended ball and spring training this year, I was a lot better at the plate, a lot more on time, a lot more barrels. And then once I got to low A, low A, the, the VLO there like it was. at instructs. But at instructs their ball moved a lot more left to right. And they also spotted up like Jason Foley would throw me a slider and, and the catcher would be like, you know, two inches away from his back foot and it'd be two inches away from my back foot The spin rates insane. Like, but here at low a, you know, they miss their spots sometimes, leave it over their plate, stuff like that. So, I mean, you know, instructs was definitely better pitching, but here at low A, they got the velo. They got the stuff. It's just they don't locate as well, I'd say.
2: You know, you talked about some of those guys that you were able to play with in Instructs, and some of those guys you actually knew before instruct. So take me back to draft day, because you were signed to play at Arizona State, and and the Tigers took a bunch of Sun Devils. And leading up to when you had got selected, had you met the guys who would eventually go on to be your future teammates in the system, guys like Spencer Torkelson and Gage Workman?
1: Oh, yeah, I mean my whole freshman, sophomore, junior year. I mean, when I was committed to Arizona state, I had free tickets every time they played. So I came and watched, I watched Gage play. I watched Torkelson play. I watched Hunter Bishop play. He's with the giants. now I w I've, I've been watching these guys play for two, three years. And, you know, I go down and watch BP before the game, talk to them on my official visits, stuff like that. So, you know, obviously we've talked and stuff, but at the time I was about 14 and they were, you know, 20. So, It was kind of an age gap there, so we weren't really close, but we knew of each other. That had to
2: have played some role in your decision to go pro and to sign with the Tigers because you knew people. You had familiarity. I mean, you were taken in the fifth round, and of course, there needs to be a lot of things that make that happen, but I had to imagine that had something to
1: do with it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, knowing all these guys, playing in all these big tournaments and, you know, going around, being all around the country, meeting all these different people, baseball people. I mean, down in Biloxi, I mean, I played, I practiced with this guy named Bubba Thompson. He's with the Rangers. I think he's in AAA now. Um, Bobby Bradley, he's with the, he's in the big leagues with uh, the Indians. You know, guys like that. Travis Swaggerty, he's a first rounder for the Pirates in AA. Like, I'm around these guys all, all the time. I, I hit BP with Travis Swaggerty in the cages, just me and him, you know, for two months. Like, me and him are close. And, and to be honest, looking back, I know I was young. He was old. He was a first round draft pick, but I compared myself to him. Like, I feel like I compete in the same level as him. And, and you know, if I get the order and be the same, you know, same age as him, I feel like I could maybe even be better. So, you know, taking the draft and, and being confident going into it was was definitely a big factor in signing and being able to see those guys. If I didn't have exposure to seeing those guys, you know, I'd have no idea. It might have been you know, it might have been different, might have been, you know, might have been me going to school to get used to better pitching or whatever. But me seeing those guys and comfortable with those guys helped me be more confident myself and um, think I could do it. So, you
2: know, just listening to you, you know, it's clear that you've thought a lot about this. You're, you're very well spoken and something that you don't always see with high school players and the Tigers have been lucky over the last couple of years. And they've had guys like Riley green that have come through the system and guys who have a pretty good head on their shoulders. I mean, is
1: it fair to say that you take a lot of pride in what you do? Oh yeah. It's my life. It's my job. You know, I mean, the way I see it, I'm doing this every day. I might as well do it my best and, you know, I'm I'm a confident guy and, and, you know, I want to make it just as mad as everybody else, probably more. So yeah, I take pride in it. How did that phone call go on draft day? Oh, draft day was a roller coaster. Whew. You know, just it was it was uh, kind of makes me sick to my stomach just thinking about it. It was crazy. But, you know, expecting to go in the second or third round, you know, maybe even first day, you know, month or two into, before the draft and, you know, slide in the fifth round it was, it was, I was getting calls, but they were like, you know, there's guys in front of you we're going to take. And, you know, if they get taken, then you, it wasn't like one team was just like, we're going to take you, which kind of sucked, but you know, it is what it is. And when the Tigers called me in the fifth round, I wasn't even watching TV anymore. I was outside with my buddies. We were playing or we were just sitting outside. Like we were just chilling and my agent comes out or advisor at the time. And, you know, he's like, Hey, Tigers, you know, they're calling. And then, he made a deal, and I got signed, and that was it. And but after that happened, I was happy with with the night because I, you know, also had something to prove, I had to chip on my shoulder because I was a fifth round pick, and I felt like I was better than that. But I got into a great organization, a great spot that needs big leaguers now, and I'm happy where I am, and I'm happy with the progress I've made so far, and I'm, you know, I'm excited to make more progress in the future. So.
2: And you know what there's no guarantee that in another system you'd even be in low A, let alone hitting 290 in it. So now you find yourself in the Tiger system. And, you know, draft day, I mean, we've talked to guys that have gone through how hard that day is, going through not hearing your name called when you were hoping to hear it. I mean, at what point, I mean, it sounds like when you got maybe the fourth or fifth round, I mean, do you just say, you know what, the hell with it? I'm just going to go ahead and focus on what I can control.
1: And you just probably kind of unplug at that point, don't you? Yeah. I mean, it was just kind of like, you know, I did my best to get my name called I'm telling you after the third round, I was like, all right, I'm going to Arizona state. I'm going to show up for three years and show everybody what's up. Like once I get to, once I get to draft in 2022 or whatever, it's, I'm going to show everybody that they should have picked me. And uh, you know, once I got picked and I was excited to go get to work and, that's really the first thing I did the next day I went lifted and I got to work. I was ready to go. And, uh, to be honest, I think so far, and I think in the future it's going to help me too, because I have a really big chip on my shoulder and I think I have something to prove. And, um, so I think, I mean, that keeps me motivated and keep me working hard. Um, you know, just just to prove that I, I can do it. So.
2: How pumped were Spencer Kirkleson and Gage Workman when they found out it was you who they got in the fifth round?
1: Oh, they both texted me, and I think uh, they both DM'd me on Instagram and were just like, let's go, you know, like, let's get to work. Let's can't wait to see you and instructs and whatever. But, you know, I never really talked to them much, but it was really cool for them to reach out right there.
2: And now we start to see the Tigers having some success at the big league level. And it's always kind of fun. At this point in, in a rebuild, so to speak, where you're finally starting to see some things happen at the major league level, all the while, you know you've got this core of talent in the minor leagues working its way up. So whether it be what's going on in Double A with Torkelson and Dylan Dingler and, and obviously with, with the guys over there with Riley, and, and then what you guys got going on in Lakeland, I mean, we've seen some talent flashing from down in Lowway, whether it be yourself, a guy like Jack O'Laughlin, I think, who's done a nice job. He was just named the pitcher of the week in your league. I mean, to, to know that this team is playing well and they've got help on the way, that's got to be a fun angle for you because it's a good team that you could
1: probably be a part of. Yeah, dude, listen, I've, I've said this before. I said this at Instructs. The Tigers might not be good, you know, now. I mean, they're getting better. They're winning games. I mean, what, we just went like 14-0 yesterday. You know, we're, we're winning games. We're, we're doing good. We got guys coming up from the minor leagues to the big leagues that are making impacts. And this is just a start. Like, these guys, that start coming up, like Torque, Riley, uh, Dingler, Cabrera, you know, whoever it is for the system, Ryan Kreidler. These guys are studs like they'll play at the big league level. They'll play their swings, play their defense plays, and it's going to help the team a lot. And uh, I mean, not to mention, we just had the third overall pick and we also, you know, got some stud pitchers coming in. You know what I mean? Like we got a great pitching staff already. we got a young, you know, young three starters up in big leagues that just came up and we've got eight or nine guys that can start in big leagues in our system right now. And we just drafted five or ten more. Like it's going to be, we're going to be good in the next, it's, it's not a matter of like, if it's when maybe in the next two, three years, we're going to be contenders up at the big league level.
2: You know, for what you have left in front of you this year, you've got about half a season left in the minor leagues. And this is something that you think about a lot. So tell me, what do you want to do? Or is there anything that's on the checklist for you
1: as you continue to try to figure your way out through low A this year? Um, for me, I mean, to be honest, right now with my swing, um, I'm still trying to get on time. I still haven't found my swing really. And I'm just now getting in the groove of things. At the beginning, I think I was batting like 220. And what it was, my hand eye coordination was just taking over and I'm just slapping balls, you know, putting barrel on the ball, good ha- hand eye coordination, and, you know, just putting barrel on the ball. And, uh, you know, I was striking out a lot. I got the strike strikeouts down now, and I'm starting to get my body into my swing. And because at first guys were throwing 95, 96 consistently, and it wasn't like that in extended spring training. You know, guys were throwing 89, 90. So I came up here, and I would, you know, I had no body into it. It was just all hands, just flicking my wrist to make sure I can get the bat there in time. You know, now I'm starting to get my body into it. I'm starting to hit more balls, you know, for power and. I think right now I have, like, two doubles, maybe two triples, whatever. But, like, I'm hitting balls just squaring them up. You know, I hit, like, two or three 104 pluses at the Yankees last week, just singles up the middle, singles over short, singles over second. So once I get my body into it and I can backspin balls through the gap, that's my game. And right now I'm not in my game yet. So what what I'm looking forward to in the next few – I think we got, like, two months left – is to really get into my swing, get into a groove, Get a lot of Lakeland Flying Tigers wins, hopefully, and uh, you know, just continue to progress and continue to get better. And if I do that, stay focused and you know stay excited to play every day, my stats will my stats will, you know, they'll show up.
2: Hard to believe you think you haven't found your swing and you're hitting 340 in the month of July. But you know, you're talking about exit velos. I heard you mention 104 the analytics side of it. I mean, how much do you pay attention to that? Cause I mean, it's not the most advanced stat in the world exit below, but I mean, with all the technology you guys have available to you, what kind of numbers do you pay attention to?
1: I mean, now with everybody, with all the technology we have and, you know, the money that's into it, I have every stat I could ever imagine. You know, I, we went over what they mean, but I only pay attention to a few. Um, we got these blast sensors on the end of our bats that show us the angles and what, you know, how hard we're swinging and how quick I just look at that and make sure that my bats on plane with the ball and uh, I'm in a good position to hit a good line drive. Um, you know, what, what do you, what do you do when you're in BP and what do you teach a kid line drives to the gaps? And that's what I'm doing right now. So I just want to make sure my swing stays the same and my legs are going to come into it and I'll start backspinning them into the gaps. I pay attention to exit velocity and that's just because I'm a barrel guy. I like to get the barrels of the ball. And as long as I'm hitting barrels, I'm playing well. You know what I mean? Like, who doesn't like to get the barrels of the ball? Obviously, everyone's going to look at exit velocity, but um, I look at my swing decisions. And what that is, is basically there's different types of the zone. Like, right outside the zone is the chase. You know, there's a heart of the zone. And I just make sure I'm swinging the balls in the zone and I'm not chasing. I'm not, you know, getting out of myself with two strikes. Make sure I stay with my approach and, I mean, that's basically it. I mean, I might look at a little bit of launch angle just to make sure I'm not dipping or, you know, just make sure I'm staying square to the ball, trying to hit balls up the middle, stay the center field, stay gap to gap, and just head high line drives. That's all I'm looking at. Most of the time, to be honest, I can go without any of the analytics because you know when you hit a ball hard and you look at the results. Are the results high, li- uh, low line drives, which is what you want, or are they pop-ups are they ground balls, you know? I'm not really an analytics guy, to be honest. If I look at exit velocity, maybe launch angle every once in a while, and that's about it.
2: I look forward to the day where there's a scouting report on Colt Keith and the first three words can just say, big barrel guy. Because it kind of feels <laughs> like that's what Colt Keith is and so far has been down in the Lakeland Colt. Again, congratulations on the start. Just keep doing what you're doing. I mean, you've got the right frame of mind. I think a lot of people who will listen to this will gain a new appreciation for your understanding of the game. That's something that you don't get with a lot of 19-year-olds, so just stay on the path, and I'm sure we'll see you in West Michigan and on the way up even farther than that as time goes on. Thanks so much for joining us here on the road to Detroit.
1: Yep, no problem, man. Thank you for
2: having me on. Now time for the road ahead. The low-A Lakeland Flying Tigers. They take off to Dunedin for a six-game series against the low-A Blue Jays. While the Whitecaps in West Michigan, they're staying home. A 13-game homestand that ties their longest in franchise history as they'll take on their in-state rivals, the Lansing Lugnuts. They used to be a Blue Jays affiliate. Now they're with the Oakland Athletics. Six games against Lansing out in West Michigan. Up to double-A Erie, the Seawolves hit the road six games against Binghamton. Those are the rumble ponies. (laughs) Yes, and there they go. There they go. And Toledo, they're back on the road. They face the Indianapolis Indians to start a six-game series. There's the road ahead. And just like that, another episode of the RTD is in the books. Our thanks to Colt Keith the Detroit Tigers number 15 prospect. Off to a great start. Continued success to Colt down in Lakeland. Also, our thanks to Scott Pleiss. Had a lot of interesting things to say, and we learned today that Jackson Job was the number one player on the Detroit Tigers draft board this season. That's a big deal, and I think that's really helpful to know where the Tigers' priorities lie as they look for talent at the top of the draft. That's the thing about this show. You have fun, and you learn something, too. So hit that subscribe button and become a passenger here on the Road to Detroit. This one was fun. We look forward to doing it all over again next week with another episode of the Road to Detroit podcast. Thanks to our producer, Nate Wangler. I'm Dan Hasty. This has been the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. And until next time. See ya!
0: No one's been part of more first days of work than Carhartt. And in the same way rookies have to keep earning respect, Carhartt never stops earning the respect of hardworking people like you. From building rugged gear that's tougher than any first day or worst day of work, to re-engineering the classics to outwork the future. Trust your Carhartts to keep doing their job, long after you've been doing yours. Since 1889, Carhartt's got your back 24-7. Visit Carhartt.com or visit a retail store near you.